first bloody mighty. Film scholars have long argued about how to divide up Hitchcock's work. He went through multiple high-profile periods with long stretches of stagnation in between huge commercial and critical successes. Starting in the silent period, Hitchcock made his most famous silent movie, The Lodger, in 1926. This was a story about a mysterious stranger who shows up at a lodging house just as a rash of murders, all young blondes, start rocking London. The Lodger was based on a novel by Marie Belloc Lowndes, first published in McClure's in 1911. It was based on Jack the Ripper's Whitechapel murders as a bunch of evidence had started to come out, including the work of L. Forbes Winslow, a famous psychiatrist who had worked on the Jack the Ripper case. The Lodger was also based on the case of the Lambeth poisoner, Thomas Neil Cream, a Scottish-Canadian medical doctor who got caught poisoning his patients in three different countries, mainly women who wanted abortions and prostitutes. Thomas Dale Cream was rumored to admit being Jack the Ripper before he was executed. However, this is an impossibility since Dr. Cream was in prison in Illinois in 1888 after a woman who paid him to poison her husband turned state's evidence. The lodger imagined a dapper, transient stranger like Thomas Dale Cream being Jack the Ripper. The lodger, Hitchcock's cinematic adaptation of the lurid story, was his first feature length thriller. Now fast forward to the year 1972, at a time when Hitchcock's health and prestige was on the decline. Psycho, paradoxically a movie that was actually less graphic than audiences remembered, had broken the Hayes Code system as it was already faltering. This led to an unparalleled new cinema movement where American films were allowed to tackle adult themes and show more violence. Explicit violence was not Hitchcock's favorite trade, and new cinema far outpaced anything he was willing to do. Hitchcock's last big critical and commercial success, The Birds, had pecked audiences almost a decade ago. Hitchcock made Marnie in 1964, a psychosexual study of a relationship between a thief and a man who blackmails her into marrying him. Marnie has been reevaluated by modern critics, but did not catch on in the mid-1960s. Hitchcock struggled getting audiences to go see his next two films, which were both political thrillers. Topaz and Torn Curtain are both movies that revolve around the Cold War and that critics and audiences were extremely mixed on. Hitchcock had to go back to the drawing board, the one subject that audiences had loved more than anything else. Murder, especially serial killers, and especially serial killers with mommy issues. But this was the time of Sam Peckinpah, and audiences wouldn't tolerate murder without a little bit of blood. A certain amount of the press reviews, uh, while commenting on, on the comedy of those scenes, have also commented on the violence of the first killing in particular, yeah. the overt violence, and suggested that perhaps you needn't have been quite as explicit as you were. Why not? What is worth doing is worth doing well. There wasn't a feeling that you had to live up to straw dogs or to a new feeling of violence. In the I've cinema. never seen straw dogs. 
So I wouldn't know anything about that. Tonight we're talking about Frenzy, Alfred Hitchcock's second to last film and his most violent. It has a lot in common with The Lodger. Like The Lodger, it's based on a novel. This time, Goodbye Piccadilly, Farewell Leicester Square by Arthur Laburn. Hitchcock first tried to get Vladimir Nabokov, who wrote Lolita, to adapt the screenplay. When Nabokov declined, Hitchcock decided to work with Anthony Schaefer, who wrote the screenplay for The Wicker Man. The novel and the film tell the story of the necktie murderer, a modern-day Jack the Ripper stalking the London streets. This serial killer kills only women, strangling them with his necktie and leaving them for the police to find. I see our necktie murderer's been up to it again. I saw the newspaper headlines as we came away from the court. Hmm. I wouldn't envy the lot of any medical man giving evidence at that trial. Why not? Surely it's easier in these days of legally diminished responsibility. In many cases, you may be right, but not here. The man who's killing these women is a criminal, sexual psychopath. In regular Hitchcock fashion, the murders are blamed on the wrong man. A former RAF squadron leader, Dick Blaney. The circumstantial evidence against Blaney keeps piling up. John Finch plays Richard Blaney, and Barry Foster plays his friend and way more suspicious guy, Bob Rusk. Both actors were purposely chosen because they weren't stars, but lesser known British actors. While preparing for this film, Hitchcock told Barry Foster to learn about the story of Neville Heath, a British serial killer who managed to pass himself off as an RAF officer. Hitchcock, of course, is a man not to be outdone in the name of cinema. Frenzy is one of the most graphic rape and murder scenes shot on film up to that point, and Hitchcock's first use of explicit nudity. During the production of Frenzy, Hitchcock's wife and longtime creative partner Alma suffered a stroke. By this point, they were both getting up there in age, and Frenzy was Hitchcock's second-to-last film ever. Frenzy has been retroactively hailed as Hitchcock's last great film. Ingredients are somewhat mystifying. They're Ling, conger eel, John Dory, pilchards, and frogfish. And now, since that must have been fairly satisfying, I thought a simple roast bird would be enough. Anyway, before I introduce the panel, please like this video and subscribe to the Moving That Extravaganza YouTube channel. Hit that bell to get notified whenever we're streaming. Also, we are now monetized, so if you have any pressing questions during this live stream, send us a super chat, which helps me keep the show running, which I am obligated by international law, human rights law, to answer. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash movie night extra. All of our after parties are on there forever. Okay, let me introduce the panel. Conan is currently on tour for the next three weeks on the West Coast. Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends is doing the adult prom tour with Lung. If you're in any of these cities, you can get tickets. See the dates and venues, go to NeutronFriends.com. KT Baldassaro is an actress, director, and writer who wrote and co-directed and also starred in Girl in the Basement, along with appearing in quite a few horror movies. She's also voice acting in the scripted podcast series, The Starwell Foundation, an audio drama set in the city of superheroes, wherever podcasts are listened to. Jay Andrew World, illustrator, book cover artist, artist for Give Them an Argument, co-host for Movie Night Extravaganza, and Bad Takes. Christina Oaks. This Barbie is streaming on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Cosmopolitics. Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Cosmopolitics. 
Send her some subs on Twitch. JG Michael is the host of Parallax Views, a podcast where politics, history, and culture are examined from perspectives you might not have considered before. I, of course, am the necktie strangler. Fuck, let me do this again. I, of course, am your host, who has never even worn a necktie, Forrest Miller. Don't forget, Bob's your uncle. I do love the bit where the killer is like, how could you suspect that it is me? I don't own enough neckties to be <laughs> killing women and throwing away a necktie. I mean, fair, though. By the way, the part of Casino we play by this, Armless Buddha. Okay. <laughs> that definitely had nothing I, to do with me strangling it to make the arms go off. Yeah. You, you know what's wild is that... Uh, I didn't I strangle did not... Christina, is what I'm saying. She's okay. fine. Yeah. I didn't She's cook cone it into She's a pie. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but uh, one of the things I love about this movie, I did not uh, realize if you've seen the movie Better Off Dead, the mom in that movie is basically satirizing the uh, cop's wife in this movie. And I did not realize until I watched it. I'm like, that's where they got this from. This same breathy delivery. Um, huh. Yeah, it's wild. Except she's Yo, in the background, no, like battling like the squid arms that are attacking her in the kitchen. Those are straight up fucking torture scenes because she admits she knows what her husband wants to eat and and gives him anything but that. Like, oh, did you see how disgusting like, his like, food looked that he ate uh, without her? Like like when he had the, the sausage Yeah, well, he's, he's just, That's he just gross. Housing, he's housing down breakfast Beans? food. That English breakfast, though. It's pretty good. It's pretty good breakfast. It's like he's doing the Hobbit like second breakfast. But uh, but JG, it's been it's been it's been a while. Yeah, finally, man. I was hoping you'd invite me back sooner. No, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I enjoy this movie. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I know you didn't mention it, but a bit of trivia for the true crime heads out there. It's actually inspired, loosely based on uh, the Jack the Stripper murders, the Hammersmith nude murders, um, where women were found. I think it was two women. Uh, were found in the River Thames, undressed and whatnot. So there's a weird true crime connection to this movie. And it's not the only movie to be based on that case. There was another one that came out in 1972 called The Fiend with Patrick Maggie from yeah. A Clockwork Orange. So just trivia, useless trivia for the true crime fans out there. I, I, I like how I like how the British mm -hmm. tabloids, like there's so many murders that they just start coming up with cute names. Right. Like, they're just like Jack the Stripper has struck again. <laughs> just rhyme it. Well, that's like the New York Post. If it rhymes, right. it goes. The famous headline, headless man found in topless bar. Well, I Mur the headless Murdoch, body in topless bar. You know? Yeah. Murdoch copied beautiful. like those the British tablet, like the Daily Mail and shit like that for mm -hmm. the New York Post. Like that, that's definitely like formatted based on fucking British tabloids, which honestly goes so much harder than I'd be mean, like the British tabloids are somewhere between the New York Post and like the National Enquirer. Like the, oh, yeah. the, the like the level of competent information you get out of them. <laughs> and speaking of the, the body in the river, I'm sure you guys know the trivia fact that they made that doppelganger body of Hitchcock and he was supposed to be one of the bodies in the river, which would have been like a, a really different way to like, you know, he kills ladies and then also this one fat guy for some reason. <laughs> well, the, well, the fat guy sees him kill the lady and he's like, oh, I was just trying to get some some food. But, you know, if, like I'll, I'll, I'll go. And then he's like, no, wait, he's strangled. 
What's all the, I could think about with that, that opening? Fat, doesn't Family Guy have the fat guy strangler? Yes, yes it does. Right. right. <laughs> all I could think about with that opening was uh, the beginning of Twin Peaks when they first find Laura Palmer. Oh my God! You know what? I didn't. I did not. But now that you mention it, that's a really great, great match. I was stuck on the fact that I kept being like, "Huh? They didn't have drones." I wonder if this was a helicopter shot for yeah, like two and a half seconds. <laughs> it is. Which, which the, the interesting thing too is like they could not fly the the helicopter underneath the bridge. Um, it is illegal to do that, so they had to zoom. Uh, you know, use the zoom lens, and, and they they tricked the. Uh, because it actually does look like it goes underneath the bridge, mm -hmm. uh, the way they shot it. So I don't quite know how they were able to. Uh, maybe maybe because the helicopter was still moving, they were using the zoom lens that kind of created the effect. Mm -hmm. But but uh, it was really incredible how they did that. The, oh, with the, the trailer. trailer, yeah, the trailer they used the. They had to because they built this damn yeah. body. They got to use it for something. <laughs> I dare say you are wondering why I am floating around London like. Not really. You're quite I'm buoyant. On the River investigating a murder. Rivers can be very sinister places. And in my new film, Frenzy, this river, you may say, was the scene of a very horrible murder. <laughs> That's yeah. not even the best part of the whole thing. <laughs> I, I just feel like if I play the whole trailer, it'll get flagged. But yeah, but I just love the part where he just goes, "Oh look, there's my necktie." And picks it up off the body and puts it on. He's like, "Do you like my tie?" And the woman's like, "Oh God, no, not the tie." There's so, a level of camp to this, but I almost expected to hear that they sold a line of neckties to go along with this. I, if it was Hitchcock in his prime and he wasn't like. His health wasn't like fading and his wife's health wasn't like, I bet they would have gone harder with the promotional materials for this. Yeah, like, well, uh, you know, to be fair though, on set, they did say she bounced back uh, health wise. Uh, you know, she had the stroke and was, uh, you know, recovered very quickly. So like, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> and she outlived him. So like, you know. <laughs> um, But yeah, I, I just, uh, his, his health was like, his health was still fading though. You know what I mean? Like he oh, was, yeah. Like you, you can tell in um in a lot, like all the interviews that I found for this, like his, like kind of uh like he he always has that like if, it's almost like his tongue is swollen, you know what I mean? Like when he speaks, like uh, he it's like it gets so much worse th at this point. And he has the pacemaker in, so like there's a lot going on there too. There, there's yeah. a few years between this one and his last one too, isn't there? Uh, uh, so four he did years. this, and then he did Family Plot, like four yeah. years later. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. like. I, I think that I think each movie that you do at that age, because he died at 80, which is kind of crazy that like because his health never really seemed good. You know what I mean? Like his health kind of always seemed a little shaky, like he was overweight. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. he did lose weight at one point because I, I, I saw pictures of him when he was like a lot younger and his mm -hmm. stomach was like out to here. But like uh, but he's I think he's 72 when this one comes out and then he was 76 when Family Plot comes out. And I know that because he died at 80 in 1980. So you can kind of. Of natural causes too, like yeah, okay. I thought it would have a heart attack. I thought something like a drinking problem would have gotten him before that. But you're right; like he he makes yeah. it to eighty. And according to some of the stuff that I watched, uh, Alfred Hitchcock did not really get uh, out of his director's seat. Um, he did most of it from you know seated. Uh, so he wasn't very mobile during the production of this. I don't know how. Uh, he also how left. That the, is. He also left the production to other people because he was taking care of Alma. Yeah, well, I mean, like, like, uh, also, like the uh, the weird thing is, is how he casted it. Uh, I don't know if you heard any of that. 
Um, I watch, heard that it was a budget you watch, issue. You watched the documentary. I didn't. I don't okay. Know I don't know what Andy. you've seen. I don't know what you've seen. Well, my favorite one is the guy who played Dick. Um, uh, he's just goes, uh, he, he gets called in um, to to, uh, uh, to Alfred Hitchcock, and uh, Alfred Hitchcock goes, "You can act, right?" And he goes, "Yes, great. Let's have lunch." And then he got the part. <laughs> that was basically it. Um, well, he he went on to uh, he went on to like do. Um, like he's like a King Arthur thing. Yeah, like he, he just did uh, um, uh, Shakespeare, uh, but it was with um, Roman Polanski directed it. Uh, so Richard <laughs> III, uh, I don't remember. Um, well, yeah, and and Barbara Lee Hunt had just finished doing um, Lady Macbeth, so I think they were all British theater actors because mm-hmm. they had told the was it Paramount? I can't remember which production company did this one. They uh, were Universal. told. You could get them cheaper because they were not going to be Hollywood actors, and they were like, "Fine, go film it in London, get a cheaper cast, go ahead." And, and also, uh, where uh, the 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 studios—it's the same studios that they film Star Wars in, and and like uh, all the James Bond movies. But um, okay, that's like uh, a mile from West End, uh, which I didn't know, or, or maybe like like it's it's a very short uh, trip to, to West End to, to uh, uh, was a Pinewood Studios. For our American viewers, you would need to tell them in like lengths of goat. <laughs> like how far is a mile? I don't I don't know. Is that like six subways ass to ass? <laughs> Kilometers. Meters. Can I can I get that in meters? Yeah. Um Sorry. no, I, I so I saw this so I saw this movie when I was I think nine or ten. <laughs> yes, and that just, is astounding. And I and I just asked my mom earlier tonight. And I was like, hey, remember, like, I watched Frenzy when I was way too young. And she's like, yeah, like, I was actually traumatized by the rape and murder scene as <laughs> well. Laugh. Yeah. Which, like, it, it, it's literally, like, probably one of the most, I mean, at the time, besides maybe, like, Sam Peckinpah, like, it's the most, one of the most graphic fucking rape and murder scenes uh, of any movie, right? And then what I think is really brilliant watching it now as an adult is that the second, they give you so much the first thing, they never have to show you a murder again, really. Like, they can do it, like, in, in an expressionistic style or whatever when he's, like, thinking back to, like, you know, murdering Babs or whatever. Because they give you so much the first time, it mm-hmm. hits someone that knows, like, you don't have to show the murder and, like, the rape every time. So I think it's kind of brilliant that they just let the camera wander out of the room when he's murdering Babs, which is the character you have, like, like you don't have much of an emotional connection to his ex-wife. His bitch ass ex wife that uh, is doing way better than him financially. I mean, like, you have like some emotional connection in the sense of like, she seems like a nice enough person, right? Like, but there's like, you don't have she, the emotional She certainly puts up with like, his shit. Like, yeah. And you get a really great nonverbal performance from Barbara Hunt there. Like, her, her, I was freeze framing it to get her facial reactions because she was very subtly shifting without seeming comical and a really tense. That that in that scene before even the physical action happens, where they're just talking to each other, and you can see how quickly she loses control of her own her own office, her own autonomy, and it's yeah. like oh, very very well acted. But you're right, I really do appreciate because I do have a lot of problems with that the way that first scene goes, but I deeply appreciate that the second scene is not shown, and I feel that that kind of kind of pushes towards the point that I know Hitchcock is trying to make and the unfair fact that I'm looking at this film from the view of decades later. Yeah. Uh, you know? 
I so mean, I, yeah, like, I definitely like that. There's there's the line that uh you definitely couldn't get away with in a movie today where she's like, he rapes them first, right? And then the guy's like, uh, well, every cloud is a silver lining. And it's like, Jesus oh Christ. Oh my God. Like, and you're like, I just, yeah. And at best you're like, oh my God, is this an Uncle Vanya type thing? Where like, <laughs> it's a deep satire and they're saying horrible things because he's making a commentary on British people. And, the, and you're like digging real deep there to try and save the scene. I mean, I, I think that it is like a, a great, satire in the sense of like it makes fun of like the british media and british society and the way that like these murders are kind of treated flippantly whether it's jack the mm -hmm. ripper in the 19 like in the in the 1880s right or mm -hmm. whether it's like you know the, the christie murders like they've had so many serial murderers in london and it's always treated as like this kind of like flippant joke by the press so i do think that there's that element of it but it's still like even then i don't think you could get away with that today they interviewed uh for like the BFI awards or something like the last two surviving members of the cast, which were the guy that says Dicko, his friend or whatever from the RAF, that guy. What a and, Jesus, uh, chewing the curtains. So he, he's still alive and, uh, or in 2012, anyway, he was still alive and the uh, secretary was still alive. And they were both like, yeah, you couldn't, you could absolutely not get away with that line. Even like, in like, and that was like pre like, you know, me too reckoning. But yeah, so I watched this when I was nine years old and uh, I had watched all the other Hitchcock movies. And there's kind of an assumption, I think, like like my parents had never seen this movie. And like they, they kind of assumed, I think, that like if it was Hitchcock, it was probably like, you know, family friendly enough. Right. Like there's like I have all of like Hitchcock's movies on VHS. And like so like nobody was really expecting known for not showing shit. Yeah. So I remember watching this at like way too young and just being absolutely traumatized by that scene. And like it's it's so like they linger on it. It's like a ten minute scene, like and it, it took them three days to film. That's yeah, and, that's yeah, and it's a body double for Barbara Lee Hunt. She's yes. one of the later surviving cast members, and there's a really cool like interview you can hear about all, her all the nudity is body doubles. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, she you know they pushed her to try and do it herself, and she was like, "There's no." fucking way i can as a shakespearean actress in 1970 go topless in my first film and and like that no no uh did, did they push her was uh it, was, it wasn't alfred hitchcock who pushed her i don't think the production asked her okay they asked her yeah because because the the on the documentary that came with the dvd uh they just said alfred never asked me anything he just got the body double and, and that's that's where they left it at so so if uh yeah you know, but i feel like i feel like later. stuff comes out about alfred hitchcock like a slow drip like yeah. for, for years like tippy hendren was like oh yeah we were great on set and then later she's like yeah he sexually assaulted me on set but i was gonna wait it's gonna give it like a 20-year clearance period to even mention that that was a, a thing that happened well yeah because you have to think about like many of the actresses who didn't play game with him didn't become famous did not continue to act like it's a it's a it's a, it's a hard place to be with someone who, like, I was thinking about how the British culture is kind of cheekier and kind of more embraceive of sex and nudity and all that sort of stuff. And so you have this British director who is going to be a little bit more of that kind of frame. But at the same time, how often in our world do shitty people use, I was just joking, to hide nefarious intentions? Yeah, well, I mean, the British let Russell Brand get away with it for like twenty years. They also let that oh god, that comedian who worked with children that they did that documentary yeah, Jimmy, on Jimmy Seville. Jimmy, Jimmy Seville, yeah, yeah. Um, 
So this movie, though, was controversial, even like by Hitchcock standards. And I have this interview where the BBC is like grilling him about the violence in it. And I, I feel like there's an element of this, like, you know, watch this as an adult. That's like it's almost like Hitchcock, like, like unbuttoning his shirt and being like, is this what you want? Like, you know what I mean? Like, because it's just Psycho has like psycho burst open the fucking haze code right like and we talked about that when we had conan like the day we, we invited him to be our our third our third mic or you know our official co-host we had him on and we talked about psycho for like four hours and uh like it burst open the haze code so after that pretty much anything you really wanted to do in a movie like the the guardrails that were there obviously weren't anymore and the guardrails were so crazy that it wasn't just um like it, it wasn't just uh like oh no nudity no whatever like there's like actual like hey like if this happens then this has to happen to the per like the villain at the end like you know what i mean like mm -hmm. it's literally structuring how the narrative of stories has to go and so that kind of burst open and i just feel like uh it's kind of ironic because you don't actually see like the stuff that actually bursts open the haze code is like people sharing a bed that aren't married like it's not it's not the violence in psycho that burst that open which is kind of fascinating hmm talking about a film now considered one of his last great pictures, Frenzy. A certain amount of the press reviews, uh, while commenting on, on the comedy of those scenes, have also commented on the violence of the first killing in particular, yeah. the overt violence, and suggested that perhaps you needn't have been quite as explicit as you were. Why not? What is worth doing is worth doing well. It wasn't a feeling that you had to live up to straw dogs or to a new feeling of violence. In the I've cinema. never seen straw dogs, so I wouldn't know anything about that. I never copy other films ever because uh, I usually spend most of the time avoiding the cliche. For example, in the North by Northwest, I had to put the hero, Cary Grant, on the spot. So the cliche would have been putting him under a lamp, wet roads, a pool of light, a black cat slithering along the wall, a face peering from a window, and a black limousine coming along. And I decided against all that as being the worst kind of cliche for this scene. So I decided to do it in the open, bright sunshine without a tree or a house in sight. And then out of nowhere comes a crop duster and chases him around. Well, immediately that has now become a cliche because the next time you saw it was in a Bond picture when Bond was chased by a helicopter. Then you saw a French picture called That Man from Rio where a man is chased by a motorboat. Then in a later film, you saw a man chased by a car. So what was once the avoidance of a cliché has become a cliché. I don't think anyone would doubt the tremendous influence you've had on other films and other filmmakers, but this, in fact, is the first film that you've made in England for something like 20 years. That's right. What made you come back now? Uh, this story lent itself to that occasion. No other reason. But now you've cast this film with a great many distinguished character actors, but no stars. It wasn't necessary. I thought that the, 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 the story would uh, benefit by being a little more realistic, especially in America, when they won't know the people at all. 
is there a feeling that the the film will be your film and that you will be the star? Entirely, of it? yes, sure. And that's the way you'd like it. Right? Oh, I think so. Looking back on the film now, are you completely happy with the way it's turned out? Pretty well, yes. It, it was laid out very meticulously to start with, uh, and uh, it followed the uh, desired pattern. How much do you mind what critics do talk about in the context of your films? Well, they, uh, they tend to talk about content rather than the treatment. Hmm. Yeah, so even there, like, I feel like he's being a little defensive, right? Like, mm -hmm. the question is about, like, whether he's... I mean, can you blame him? No, but I, I just, I, like... I definitely can't blame him, but like it, it's just kind—it's of, kind of fascinating that you know, because he he took a stand against nudity in films, he took a stand against violence in films, and this film is both, right? Like mm -hmm. coming out on the heels of like, uh, I mean, one film that did okay at the time, and two like complete disasters. So it's like a, a re a re envisioning of like what his role has to be. It feels almost like he's readjusting. I think that's the question they're asking about straw dogs, like Peck and Paw, right? Like, and mm -hmm. the way that he takes that question is like, oh, well, you know, like first he's like, I've never seen straw dogs, which, you know, completely uh, like being very specific about a question that was a lot broader than that. And then mm -hmm. being like, you know how much I've contributed to cinema. It's like, I, it, I don't, I don't like, I don't begrudge him being uh, defensive about that, but like, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting. Well, I, I mean, yeah, it's it definitely like, uh, is. He's, you know, since we're talking about uh, uh, somebody who has a postcard, uh, yeah. Um, uh, never mind. I'm not going to make that joke because I forgot what the punchline is. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, I, I always think of like uh, you know music uh, is uh, something that that I always listen to a lot. And like I think sometimes artists have like a Best Buy date, and you can really see that with music because uh, yeah. of a, a lot of output. And I think like D David Bowie never really had a uh, Best Buy date. Um, Although he did have a dry period in the 80s, but that's a different story. Uh, and the, but like in the 90s, he wasn't really the leader he was in the 70s and, uh, with his music. But he was kind of he was, but he also wasn't quite following trends. He was taking the trends and like absorbing them and, and uh, kind of reinterpreting it his way. And I feel like this movie is much the same way of what uh, you know Hitchcock was doing, was seeing what's around him absorbing it and then reinterpreting it in his way because he's still a master filmmaker like the strength yeah. of this film is like uh th those beautiful shots because um all the indoor shots were done in a set you know uh in in england all the uh you know uh, you know off on you know on the uh, uh you, really, you, really went, uh you really went ham on this documentary and, and the uh all the outdoor shots were done on the streets of london like, like those were not, uh, you know, set pieces. So, so they beautifully, uh, you know, masterfully masked that, especially with that, that, uh, shot where they're, they're coming out from the, from the murder where they go down the steps. And that's that long shot. Um, mm. what, where they even mask it with the guy walking in front of the camera, like rope. But JG, what were you going to say? I was going to, I mean, it's funny for me because I remember, uh, when I was in film school, I used to, I mean, I was little like, rebel without a cause kid that would like antagonize the teacher and i remember the teacher would go on about hitchcock would never show anything and then i would yell out something like well except for frenzy right which is basically his exploitation film yeah but you know, what's interesting about it is you know watching it again i've seen a lot of people compare it to the exploitation or grindhouse movies of the 70s and i can see that comparison but i think like uh, Jay just said, you know, it doesn't even fit neatly into that category either in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of rich with plot, right? Like, it's 
it, it doesn't <coughs> like it, there's nothing really i mean it doesn't exactly feel exploit like exploitative in, in the sense of like it feels like it's almost satirizing like e exploitation films right like it's almost it's satirizing the way that as a society uh i mean british society but also like american society as it kind mm -hmm. of like the tabloidization of american society um mm -hmm. Right. And like the way that that's covered, because I mean, a lot of it is the fact that Murdoch bought up all of our tabloids. So like, you know, that like British slash Australian style of uh, tabloidization kind of came to the United States. And like, that's kind of where like a fucking swamp preacher like Trump comes out of, too. But like mm -hmm. the way that, uh, you know, the way that like this kind of cheeky way of covering uh, like serial killers, pretty much. And for it to be um, like when, when they're having the conversation at the beginning and it's the psychoanalysis guy that would be in court, like giving forensic psychoanalysis or whatever. Right. And he's like, he's like, I almost like that. We have like a, you know, a, another serial killer going on for a while because it's like almost like a tourist attraction. And it's just, it's such a stark like realization that like, mm -hmm. yeah, this is kind of how all this stuff is treated. Like you can go on like Jack the Ripper tours be like, Oh, mm -hmm. you can go through like white chapel mm -hmm. and see all the places where Jack the Ripper just Absolutely. mutilated somebody. And it's, and mm -hmm. it's dark and it's grotesque and it, and it's exploitative. And th this feels like, also expensive yeah but this, this movie feels like it's satirizing that like because mm -hmm. the first murder at least is so fucking graphic like mm -hmm. it, it's shown to you in such a graphic style mm -hmm. and then but so much of the rest of the movie isn't that's that yeah. to me is exactly really and i feel like your comment is a very interesting one about it being an exploitation film i almost feel like we want to call it an exploitation film this way the really sensational way that that rape scene is filmed the you know the extreme male gaze the pov that is quite sensationalized the fact that the light lighting goes from harsh to diffuse as soon as we get to see a naked woman's body which does imply a bit of a like sensationalization makes you feel like okay so if it's exploitation that makes sense we can put it over here we can feel okay about this but the rest of the film does not support it's, that it's almost monty python <laughs> it's so fucking campy yeah the the, uh, the the campiest part is and it, like i i saw the there's a there's a clip of it online and like it it times it out it's 11 minutes where he's in the back of the potato truck and it's and the, just the shot of him in the back of the potato truck. And you hear the bones snapping, which is and the foot thing. hits him in the yeah. face because apparently, like that's what happens. <laughs> Tarantino's favorite scene. <laughs> Did you, I watched. I watched this video today of this uh, this girl that was like, "Quentin Tarantino, can you sign my foot?" And he's like, "Yeah, I, I, I get, yeah, sure." And he like leans down and like signs this this lady's foot, and she's like, "Thanks," and walks. Off. <laughs> so, um. I completely forgot what we were talking about now. Um, <laughs> I will say the like, potato truck scene was yeah. filmed also in three days. Which just imagine, you know, sitting back in the potato truck for three days. Oh, yes. So with the potato truck scene, I think it's interesting. How did you guys feel about the kind of meter of tension? Where there is, of course, the fact that you're rooting for the bad guy to succeed a little bit in this situation. And there is a tension of will he do it? Will he get caught? But also they, they keep choosing to break that tension quite repeatedly with bits of kind of slapstick humor. Did that make you feel like you were going up and down in, a, in an interesting way? For me, I kind of feel like I, I diffused out and I, I stopped engaging with the scene. One of the, one of the reasons that I feel like I was almost rooting for him is that he kind of looks like Graham Chapman. Like that, like, and I know that that's not 
He looks like Gene Wilder. He looks like Crazy Willy Wonka. I don't know. I was thinking Doctor Who. <laughs> we each but, had one. I don't know. Mike, JJ, Mike, JJ, a... what did he look like to you? I the only person I was I, I was thinking of I was when I first watched it I was like is that Oliver Reed is that dick dude? Is he looks like a bootleg Oliver Reed? I'm just like, <laughs> I feel like we're, we're all doctors, kind so of I'm sorry right. for young people that don't. No, remember. we're all. We're yeah, right. Michael Caine. It's Stevie Oliver Reed. Off chats, of, I agree with that. Yeah, Oliver uh, Reed off of uh, Wish. Mm-hmm. Which, is kind of, which is kind of funny because they have the Jack the Ripper uh, series where it's Michael Caine as the fucking detective and he's like he's like torturing the guy on the table and he's like he's like you fucking pimp right. uh yeah I, I i don't know i like i feel like i was you're, you're rooting you're rooting for him in that moment to get out of the potato truck but like i feel like some of that is that it would be anticlimactic if they found him in the back of the potato truck right like because it's mm-hmm. before it's before they put away uh old dicko and mm-hmm. like so nothing nothing much has happened in the way of plot so, like, if they had just found him in the back of the potato truck, that kind of would have been, like, an anticlimactic uh, moment. I yeah, think. I just think it's interesting that the film continues to put you in the point of view of a depraved, an anti-hero, someone you shouldn't want to be, and yet you do sort of find yourself being like, I hope we get this out of this lady's hand before we get in trouble <laughs> in this potato truck. So this, is, so this is Hitchcock talking about the ideal villain. Uh, I feel like I feel like this this fits in here um this is when he was doing a press run for frenzy and he's talking about all of his films because kind of the way that they were doing these press runs is they were doing it almost like oh well this is like a guy on his last legs like we got to ask him about all of his films in order so like every single one of the uh press runs he does for this it's like oh let's talk about your entire filmography oh i wish there was a bobby interview for it with uh for this movie (laughs) (laughs) but uh so so they're asking him about the ideal villain i think this is interesting conscious bump are off because all the rest of the, his colleagues will know. So you get a case of arsenical poisoning, you see. Who is your idea of an ideal villain? I've heard you read someone that you thought that Claude Rains kind of personified well, he was a ideal. nice man in his way, you know. I think any, any man, uh, uh, as you know, uh, as you've seen the film Frenzy, you've got a cheerful, lively man who is a, is a psychotic. You see, unless they're pleasant and, and acceptable, their victims would never go near them. Most people misunderstand what a villain is. He's a charming man who kills women. But when, if he didn't have the charm, they'd run a mile from him. <laughs> well, that brings us back maybe to sexual aberrations again. Uh, you, there seem to be a lot of Jack the Ripper types in various of your in various films well they're only they are aberrations uh for the by the fact that um outwardly they're uh, acceptable members of society and in the picture frenzy i agreed to go to some extent in the scene between a doctor and a lawyer to explain that fact that outwardly they're normal uh apparently decent human beings and then quote it comes over them, unquote. <laughs> you do use humor. Uh, do you think that that plays a kind of relief from the building up of suspense? You'll always need it. You, know, you can't it's like just a bomb play. situation. If you have the bomb, you must never let it go off because if you created suspense with the audience, then you must relieve it. For instance, I think in the 39 Steps when Madeline Carroll is in the 
train compartment mm -hmm. and she uh, gives the hero away after you feel she's not going to. Oh, well, that's true. Wouldn't, wouldn't you if a man <laughs> burst into the apartment? I do have good news about this. Uh, I looked it up while we were watching that. Uh, there is a Bobby uh, video of um, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, but she's not interviewing him. Uh, I'm assuming she, she there's like a giant room full of people, and she might be one of the people in the room. But uh, oh, well, that's, uh, not as, that's not as fun. Yeah, um, no, no. I wanted like one-on-one uh, -on -one Bobby asking those great questions. But I, but I think it is the suspense in that potato truck scene too. Like it, it's the yeah. it, you're mm -hmm. you're in it for the suspense more like more than you are i think him as a character because i find him as a character to be uh, grotesque like mm -hmm. yeah I'm the same way yeah. yeah absolutely i think everyone should yeah <laughs> but I like mean... just in it but like in a way that because i'm i mean i'm not british like at all and i kind of find british people grotesque <laughs> a lot of them so like i so, so send your letters to <laughs> so like no but like so the charm that like is supposedly there with him i like it rubbed me as creepy every like not even knowing necessarily that he was going like he was the fucking killer like i there's just there's something just off about that character can he's confirm just, he's too affable and like yeah. not affable like he's, he's talking about fruit all the fucking time like he's like, like oh, what does he want from like, me yeah like it, there's just something like solicitous i guess is the like mm -hmm. the term mm -hmm. right like there's just it's it's too much too affable and mm -hmm. so like i think it makes perfect sense when he turns out to be the fucking killer but like i do think that there's like has to be a level of charm to people because it is true that like i i don't know like unless unless you're like well no like you have to be kind of charming as like one of those serial killers or else yeah nobody's ever gonna fucking go like towards you they're just gonna be like oh that guy's clearly out of his mind like i'm not gonna approach him that's why they always say, like, I never suspected he was killing people in his basement. If you did, you would have called somebody. That's like saying you found it in the last place you looked. Yeah. <laughs> they, they also, uh, I feel like it's almost a, a nod to his own filmmaking when he has the mom poking out the window. And uh, he's like, this is my dear old mom. And he, like, <laughs> has the picture of the mom. Like, I feel like that's almost a nod to Psycho being like, well, in this case, mm -hmm. the mom's still alive. But, like, it is the same kind of. Uh, mm -hmm. Like it's not delved into as much, right? Like we don't really get that much of the psychology of Bob Rusk really in this. Like it's mm -hmm. more of the wrong man story, but I think it's the right tact because I do not really want to know too much about the psychology of Bob Rusk. He, he's, he, well, he's, he's like, he's yeah. just slimy. I mean, he's just, yeah. just oh, just, uh, uh, you know, just, just very much like a doctor who villain, uh, you know, straight up. <laughs> yeah and the fact that like a i don't want to know and b the film doesn't really need to go there yeah. makes the fact that the first death scene is so graphic i have a lot of questions as to like besides simply being like we can so why not like i, I don't know how it serves the story particularly well beyond being kind of gimmicky yeah, I had, oh. you know, I had a yeah. conversation about this with my uh, film teacher in uh, an art school uh, uh, where I basically planned my restroom break in the middle of the rape scene in um, uh, Strange Days. And she was sitting out there in the hallway and she's like, oh, you've seen this movie before, too, huh? <laughs> and uh, we talked about, like, does the movie need it? And it's like, because because like we're both like, we don't want to rewatch that scene. Um we talked uh, about it with uh with showgirls too, right? Like yeah, when 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 is a rape scene earned and when is it not? I, I think in this case showgirls uh, not. 
I, I think in this case, though, there's something about the psychology of him being like a sadomasochist or whatever, right? That they're trying. I think that that's what they're trying to convey throughout this. Mm-hmm. And I, I do appreciate that, like, he's not just skeevy. He's going under like a fake name to all these fucking like dating services and like being mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to just beat up women. Find me a woman. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. And, he's and, like, and they did get that one great line there, though. Oh, you're just my type. Well, and he says that he's a build up. He yeah. says that to her, and then he says that to uh, Babs as he's walking. But that's why you don't need to say see yeah. anything more of Babs, because because he says the line, and you're just like, you know, yeah. And this is why I I, I think about time you want to be told like, hey, you're just not my type, and then you're like, oh my god, thank god. <laughs> I hope I don't look prettier when I smile. Um, but going back to that quote from Hitchcock earlier, where he was like so defensive about the idea of of his like. Well, you can say that my shots are cliched, but actually I invented them. People are copying me. So if you watch my movie, which was new then now, and you feel like it's cliched, that's on you, not me. I, re- I want you to redub that in your voice. <laughs> yeah, just like-, <laughs> like a drunk history. Get a real big fat guy. That's on you. It's not on me. Um <laughs> But I think about that with this vape scene because you know, like the great question, like when is when is it necessary? And I think that that's probably one like, of the reasons it, to watch this movie. When is it earned? I feel like is almost a better expression. I'm not sure I understand the word like earned. Like like it has to pay off. Like it has to either mm, uh, work the, into the story in a way that there, the, there's a certain the narrative payoff. Yeah. Payoff. For yeah. Audience, right. Like, yeah. If, if someone just gets raped, like, like for no reason, and then the story keeps going, right. Like there's nothing like earned, like earned quote unquote mm. about that. Right. Like, so it has to build up to it in a way that it feels like uh, mm-hmm. that, like, like the, the movie's built up enough uh, credibility or something around it that like, you feel like, maybe that scene is is earned i guess yeah no i hear what you're saying like it's it's the narrative either we're learning something about the victim or we're learning something about the, the perpetrator um and in thinking about this scene and the fact that it feels like ah oh, these images don't feel they feel gross but also a little banal and i i can't help but feel like that's probably because this has just been used by other people so many times clumsily trying to get somewhere. And and it makes me, I don't know if I need to see a rape to understand the emotional gravitas for either character. I just don't, I don't know. But again, a great reason for someone to watch this movie to see how they feel about that. Yeah. Well, I guess, so my, my, I'm not saying that I, I fully buy into this, but mm-hmm. I guess my, my counter, my counterpoint to, uh, yeah, totally. saying it's not, is, um, that you have to see the ramping up of the hostility, mm-hmm. uh, within that scene because it starts off, right? Like he's, he's like trying to come on to her. It seems like, and then he's like, he's like the whole, like, you're just my type thing. And then he starts to like rape her. And then the the hostility and this like uh like the psychotic break builds and builds and builds oh. throughout this entire scene, right? So uh first there's the rape, and that's already like that's already pretty brutal. But then mm-hmm. there's another thing that clicks, and he, like after he rapes her, he's like, You bitch. And then he pulls off the fucking necktie and he's mm-hmm. like cursing at her and he hits her and shit. And so you can see the hostility and like the actual violence of mm-hmm. like a, a sadomasochistic figure. Um, that they're talking about earlier in the movie when they're saying like, oh, well, you know, it kind of just comes over them, right? Like this, mm-hmm. this psychotic uh, episode. So mm-hmm. you can kind of see himself. He's working himself up. He's working himself up. He's working himself up. And then there's the murder. 
And so I, I think that maybe to like, because later on in the movie too, uh, he's talking to his wife and he's like, oh, it just kind of comes over them. It's like almost like a disease, which mm -hmm. I, I don't think is the clinical way that this movie <laughs> described today, but it's like almost like some kind of disease is like a fugue state that almost comes over uh, mm -hmm. these people. So you see all of that in action in mm -hmm. this incredibly brutal and violent rape scene. Absolutely. I, I think for me, it got a little bit more aggressive, a little faster, just because immediately the conversation when he enters the room is like, oh, this guy's going to fucking try and rape me. Like, yeah. it was never... So it, there's a point where he's trying to hit on her and he actually says, like, hey, your lunch doesn't seem like enough food for somebody as fat as you. Like, he's Yeah, he's making like, her... And come on, if you're going to rape or murder somebody, at least give him a little... Well, I mean, he's going like, to the Andrew Tate route, you know? Like, that's such a such an aggressive such an aggressive thing to say to someone. Like, I'm putting you down, but I'm also objectifying. Like, ooh, was, he was always coming right at the screen for me. And the, they, they both did a very good job with the dialogue leading up to that. It was incredibly tense and well acted. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and like, throughout this, too, um, I, I think it's, it's interesting. Uh, it almost feels like there's a garden variety sadist that they're they're kind of hinting comes into these places and it's like no like this isn't like we're not catering towards this specific kind of person and you get the feeling almost that like this isn't the first time like because the because later on the the um i forget what her name is like mrs uh whatever, whatever like the, the secretary you, you get oh, the God. feeling um Mrs. I think it's like Mrs. Barkley or something. Like it's something that sounds yeah. like barley, and I thought it was barley. She looks a lot but, like Audrey Hepburn uh, to me. Yeah, and and I I she 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 lived to 2012. I have a video of her talking about working on this. But uh, there's so you get the feeling she's like, oh, this kind of person is a blight on our um on our industry, right? Like so you you get the feeling that this isn't the first time like some sadistic weirdo has come in and tried to get a dating service to set them up with women that like to be hit or like, like mm -hmm. to be like, you know, tortured or whatever. Like you get the feeling that this is something that happens, maybe not like a lot, but like happens occasionally at least. Yeah. I, I also kind of want to give a, uh, a bit of a defense to the, uh, the actor who, who uh, played um, Bob there because he, he actually hated that scene oh, and uh, was kind of like, uh, and I mean, you know, he's a good actor. So maybe he was acting in the, uh, the thing I watched before his uh, he passed away, but but um, he he did not enjoy doing that scene and was not you know uh, did you know just seemed very remiss about the whole the whole thing. Yeah, uh, so, so you know I I, I appreciate that. Uh, whether mm -hmm. that's true or not, you know that's the that's the face he gave during that. And this video was made shortly before he passed away because he passed away like a year or two later. And as an actor, I, I think about that when I think about what is, is is a rape scene earned in that you are going to kind of traumatize your actors when you do something like that. So I yeah, I, I have a lot of I have a lot of conflict. I don't know. Yeah. It's, have it's, you it's seen, very interesting. Have you seen that movie uh, Strange Days? No. Because the interesting thing too about the movie, just just uh, I want this to be out there, uh, you know, for for this, uh, it was directed by a woman. Um, it's uh, oh, what's her name? She she did uh, uh, Zero Dark Thirty and and uh, oh, Catherine uh, Bigelow. Break. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow. Um, it was one of her films. Uh, James nice. Cameron wrote the script. Um, so so there there's a there's a you know it's not from the male gaze. Um, uh, the rape scene. It's actually from oh. the point of view, which is 
fucked up. Uh, that, that's the whole point of the whole thing is, mm-hmm. is how fucked up that rape is. Uh, mm-hmm. Because that rape is like multi levels of fucked up. Uh, JD, do you have do you have thoughts on rape scenes? I I, I usually try to steer well, clear. Of that. Can I can I, can I finish my about... thought here? Oh yeah, yeah. 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 I, I just uh, I I bring this up mostly because like that specifically was from the point of view of a woman compared to this one, which is very obviously a point of view of the male. And, and I just didn't know uh, uh, if anybody wanted to kind of uh, jump in on that and. Uh, I have unfortunately not seen Strange Days. Yeah. Okay. I, mm-hmm. I overall, except for that one scene, I love that movie because uh, mm-hmm. everything else about it's fantastic. And mm-hmm. then it just has this one scene in it that's just like that. I can't. I can't tell people to go watch it. Yeah, yes, and I wonder if you couldn't break. still make the movie without having that scene and hit the gravitas that you need, and possibly not really, you know, have to put that heavy burden on the on the actors. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what that would look like. I mean, like, you know, because although we I are think, having people on set who sexual coordinators who are who are making this better, so we are trying yeah. to approach this. Sorry, yeah, I cut Gabe you off, talked Forrest. about that whenever we had him on uh, for the uh, uh, what is it, the Carried Away episode. Uh, whenever he um, gets sexually assaulted by his grandmother in the movie, yeah, uh, and then talks about his other movie where he gets uh, also raped. Why do I keep watching movies with my best friend from childhood getting raped in it? <laughs> You're gonna have to pay someone to answer that question. <laughs> Better help. So our, uh, our that, and here's it, exactly <laughs> after Obama's commercial, we'll talk about Better Help. But actually, I wanted to ask the group here because Forrest, you were talking about how you saw this movie very young, and like probably burned in your consciousness. Did I feel like we? My, a lot of people probably had an experience like that. JG, Andy, did you watch a movie too young? There was a movie I saw when I was like uh, in preschool that I still remember, but I don't know what the name of the movie is. And I'd love to rewatch it just because like it traumatized me so much as a child. But that's because uh, guys, he keeps getting cats and the cats keep dying. And oh. I don't know if that's the plot of the movie, but like that kept going through the, and I was traumatized and crying my eyes out. And I just remember like by the time the cat fell in the water, whenever he was out on the boat, I, I just like completely lost it at that point because the shark's showing up and I'm just like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I was going to say for me, I mean, there, I don't know that there's ever been a movie that really traumatized me or that I watched too young. Mm-hmm. The only movie I tell people, I, I mean, I mentioned exploitation movies earlier. I grew up on all that grindhouse stuff due to various circumstances, having a video store that specialized in it. So... I mean, the only movie that I I like cannot watch. I've only watched it once, but I had to be drunk to watch it. Was um, Ruggiero Diodato's Cannibal Holocaust? Oh yeah, that's a one yeah. time and done. And I, I love Diodato. I've met him before, but I mean, that's you know, it's not. interesting with these movies that depict uh, rape because I mean, there's a whole genre of it, right? Rape revenge films. And I was telling Jason Miles from This Is Revolution. Uh, we were talking about the original I Spit on Your Grave from 1978. And I, I have defended that movie in the past, but it was funny. I, I said to him, you know, I don't remember. It's like I blot out that scene. The part I like about it is when she gets her revenge because there's something cathartic about oh, uh, that, the, the revenge aspect of those movies. Uh, same with uh, Abel Ferraro's Miss 45. But it's interesting, all those movies that have 
the sort of rape revenge plot. I I can't say I remember the rape scenes. It's almost like I I like forcibly black them out of my mind. You know, and it is interesting to me. I think that this was handled frenzy. I think handled that scene. It felt like better than a lot of films that would come after it. That that's just my view of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Very interesting. I mean, I, I think that it's worth noting in this one, though, that it's not just a rape, it's a rape and a murder, right? Like, it's... Right, there, right. There, there's they plenty of... I mean, well, because there's plenty of movies that have a rape scene, and mm-hmm. then, like, the character has to keep on living with it. Yeah, there's right. no care about how this affects Barb. I mean, she's dead, so who cares? You know, like, she's in a potato sack, and it's funny. Like, they, they are really objectified means to an end which almost makes it a little bit worse if you're a lady and you're watching this movie yeah but like it's literally about serial killers right like the whole thing with uh what's about to do try who's trying to not get caught (laughs) the whole the whole thing with like jack the ripper right like he raped and then mutilated women Mm -hmm. like and in this i mean i guess in some ways it's almost like cleaner because it's not Right. You know, like you, you have to imagine that like the prostitutes, the Jack the Ripper, which another thing actually that I that I noted that I wanted to talk about in this is that the women that he ends up uh, murdering in this are not like prostitutes or no, uh, like like she's a successful businesswoman, mm-hmm. girl boss, you know, clapping. Yeah. Like uh, Babs is, you know, a bar like she's a barmaid, but she's like, you know, doing all right. Like these are not like he's he's not kind of doing the thing that. um jack the ripper like you know all of the copycats would have done which is that they go after like prostitutes that nobody's really gonna miss and then mutilate them and then like there's like a salacious aspect to it where it's like mm-hmm. oh yeah well this is a woman that you know she's mutilated but she's also a whore like yeah uh, like that that element's not there to it which makes the i mean it shouldn't make the the, the deaths all the more tragic like it, it shouldn't mm-hmm. affect that at all but like yeah, it makes the victims ways, more blameless yeah yeah, I'm not saying, and I want to. I want to put the caveat that I'm not saying that this is inherently like wrong, a bad movie. Yeah. But I am saying that, like, and it's really important for me to continue to think about this fact. Like, I, you can read a book that was written in the 1900s, but having all the influence that you have from your current life, you're going to bring thoughts to the book that probably weren't intended by the author. So I, I'm going to have to come to this movie in the in in the way that I am and a feminist uh, filmmaker and 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 maybe be like I don't I didn't I had trouble with a lot of it, you know I couldn't right. enjoy it as much as if I wasn't like oh man that sucks because she's just an object but like yeah I totally see the artistry in in a lot of cinematography and I get the choices but I'm just like man that's not really for me. Yeah, I mean what, no, I and, I and I don't I'm not. Like you know, telling you like it has to be. Oh I'm yeah, just, oh totally. I, I'm just kind of like grappling with the because if it, if it was just a rape scene, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, already that's traumatic, and like to add the element because it like it, the thing that kind of fascinates me about that entire sequence um, is that like she expects it just to be like he's raping her, and that's already brutal enough. But she can kind of deal with that, and then there's the added element where he pulls off the necktie and she realizes after she's already been raped like oh no this this is the necktie like this isn't just like some sadistic guy that like but there, there's like, her reactions yeah know, to everything that that's what i was trying to get at earlier when i was i was trying to compare it to other films that that use rape somehow in the plot mm-hmm. you know i think most movies that i've seen that use that in the plot 
don't necessarily need it, and I usually try to blot it out, but it's very much, I think it's hard to do with this movie. I mean, it's, it's you know, in a way, it's it's a profoundly powerful scene because it they really build it up. Like, the, to me, mm-hmm. the, the I was disturbed just as the conversation was happening. The Absolutely. build up to that moment. Yeah. And, you know, I think we can argue over the, whether these type of scenes are needed in a movie like Frenzy. But I do think the, the build up to it is so masterful that I'm yes. not going to forget that. It's, it leaves that indelible mark and uh, you know yes. it's terrifying to watch yeah the delivery and, the quality of the voice yes yeah mm-hmm. in and a way I, that i i don't see that with a lot of other films that have this oh absolutely aspect. Yeah. yeah yeah which is what stops it from being exploitation and it, it also mm-hmm. it's just it's i feel like a lot of what uh like a lot of the reaction to hitchcock in the 60s that are kind of like rejecting his films also has to do with his uh obsession with like freud and like ideas like the edible complex and like all of these different um like freudian psychoanalysis you know techniques that are intrinsically wired into some of his films when it comes to like a character like norman bates or something right Mm -hmm. and uh i i think it's kind of fascinating that like as other forms of psychology overtook freud in the 60s like the hitchcock kind of like the, the movie marnie right is about like a psychosexual relationship uh, based on blackmail and it's like that movie in the 60s like now that movie is seen as like a masterpiece but in the 60s it's like different forms of psychoanalysis are kind of taking over and it's like uh, you know Hitchcock's kind of old-fashioned in that way and this movie mm-hmm. uh, like treating um, treating this kind of like psychotic uh, psycho like s- like sadomasochistic um, like think almost as like a disorder or like a disease right that like, kind of just washes over somebody you kind of need that I think in in that scene because you kind of see it, you see it come over him and you see it he, he mm-hmm. works like frenzy is a really good title for this you know in that scene he works himself up into an actual frenzy mm-hmm. uh yeah real quick I, I thought it was interesting the way you compared it to his sort of psychotic tendencies like wash over him and take over like a disease because it was weird i was actually thinking while i was watching it I was thinking, you know, it's interesting to me how there's all this psychosexual stuff in it and the Freudian elements. And, you know, only a few years later, you have David Cronenberg making movies like Shivers and uh, Rabid. And there is that element of like, especially in Rabid, where the main character has, you know, they're literally infected with a disease where they can't even control themselves. Uh, I think in Rabid, Marilyn Chambers is much more sympathetic than you would have with this character. But it's interesting to think that you know, people forget Hitchcock was dealing with a lot of these psychosexual and Freudian themes that, you know, directors in the, the later half of the 70s started dealing with more and more, maybe in different yeah. ways. But, you know, it, it's in the, in, the, in the 60s. I wonder how much uh, like like because Marnie is like his like Marnie was kind of not treated as like something that uh, like audiences really wanted to see in 1964. But like that was his most, I think, Freudian and like uh, like psychosexual film, right? Like because that's less about like a murder or something like that, and more about like blackmail and how blackmail could be used to force somebody into a relationship and like the the whatever, like the the power dynamic between that. And that movie was not like treated in the middle of the '60s as something that people wanted to see. And then he went on to do like movies about like the Cuban Missile Crisis. People were like, man, too soon. Like, <laughs> so like right. his, his his output in the 60s, right? Like kind of uh, decided where he was going to go for his last 
hurrah in the 70s knowing that he's kind of getting up there in age having his like scorsese moment where he's like listen i'm you know i need to do one more at least great film before i die um and this film this film kind of it, it wires that into a story where uh i think like the dick blaney character has his own like deeply woven psychiatric issues clearly that he's right. dealing with or like trauma that he's dealing with like he can't he can't break out of like in a similar way to something like vertigo like he can't break out of this uh whatever problems he has from the war like he can't but like mm -hmm. that never really gets explored in this which i think it, I, I like i kind of wish it did yeah because he's a bit of an asshole <laughs> yeah well he's abusive too like yeah in some way like and you and it's never really and not sympathetic yeah i mean he gets I do like the yeah, I do like the idea of this, like this piece being a little bit of a, an experimentation that then leads off in a lot of places for other directors like Cronenberg. Because, because yeah, I, now that you're pointing that out, I can see that that very interesting. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. You can make that your ringtone if you want. <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't know, like. But I feel like Psycho is a movie that kind of has the same elements kind of married together in a different way, right? Like mm -hmm. Norman Bates is almost a more sympathetic character than Bob yeah. Ruff is. Like Norman Bates has deeply uh, psychotic issues and like is fucking killing women and like that's bad. But like you don't come out of watching Psycho as f fully disgusted by Norman Bates. I mean, especially because you never really see him. I mean, you see him like uh the, the shadow like a silhouette but like and you don't you find don't, out it's him until the yeah. end so it's not like you live with him as the murderer the whole time he's also like hearing voices and shit i don't get the feeling that like bob rusk was hearing like hearing voices this, this he was is just more in it for the love of the game yeah he one was of the voices but they really were his mothers <laughs> she's still alive so yeah she's right there <laughs> one of the things that um Interest most about uh, interests me most about Frenzy is just thinking about that, thinking about the movie in the context of its time, and then also comparing it to what came before. Mm -hmm. So you know, I'm really interested in like the pre Hays Code films. You know, you watch, uh, for instance, something like Edgar G. Ulmer's The Black Cat from the 1930s, which is a good watch for the Halloween season, or even um, the Belly Lugosi vehicle uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue for the from the 30s. I mean. It's really crazy watching those old pre Hays Code 30s movies because they're dealing with a lot of these subjects that you eventually see in a movie like Frenzy, dealing with like sadomasochism and psychosexual stuff. And it, it, it's kind of more implicit at times, but it, it goes right to the edge in those, those pre Hays Code movies. And then you don't really see that for a long time. And I think something happens when you get to the 1960s and into the early 1970s and it really explodes even you know later on in the 70s but you know th this was what 1972 right mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's it's such an interesting period right because in 68 you have a movie like night of the living dead which seems very tame by today's standards but back then i mean that scene with uh little kyra shown the actress playing the little girl and you know uh with the bloody um i forget if it was like scissors or the axe or whatever that was like shocking for its time. A movie like Peter Bogdanovich's Targets. I mean, it's literally a, a movie about mass shootings. Uh, there's that's those movies both come out in 68. 
And it's interesting to me that period from like 68 till, you know, like 74, where you're, you're seeing limits being pushed uh, in all kinds of different directions. Not all of them good, of course. You know, you had people like Michael Winner making movies like Death Wish. Um, you know, Sam Peckinpah was pushing barriers with Straw Dogs. It's just a very interesting period in film. I guess, you know, it's new Hollywood, really. But I, I just think Frenzy is really interesting within the context of Hollywood really exploring uncharted territory. Well, you, you also have like 69, you have like the Wild Bunch, right? Like in right, every, right. every every single uh, scene you watch from the Wild Bunch is like just buckets of blood. Like right. it's just like, hey, we can we can have a guy with a machine gun. Got a I bunch think buckets of, of blood came out right around the same time. <laughs> um, and, it, and it is interesting to say like well you know you like hitchcock as a director and this is you getting to see him experiment outside of that previous restriction if nothing else a restriction that he was the one that uh i i think not really knowing what was going to come next or not really planning it out like a restriction that he broke down i mean ironically mm -hmm. a restriction that he broke down uh in a way that like like the things that broke down the Hayes code for psycho weren't like the the shower scene the things that broke it broke it down were like couples sharing a bed and like a toilet flushing and like there's a lot of weird stuff that they, that they were like oh this is scandalous mm -hmm. rather than him walking in and, and you know because they don't actually show her ever having the knife plunged in in the shower which oh absolutely and it's the it. syrup but it, also this film frenzy is his only film that to date is still technically given an r by the british classification system which means you have to be 18 to see it or technically i mean you know but like it's kind of interesting because you know, a lot of his stuff is still pretty scary you know yeah just you don't see it this one they're like tits give it an 18. well so he also uh so he made the first british talkie like the first and um and the a movie called blackmail and like talking about the same like pre Hayes code kind of thing like if you watch the trailer for it or whatever like he has his actress uh standing in front of the mic and he's like have you been bad have you slept with a lot of men or something and like he says something that like you couldn't get away with during the Hayes code uh he like asked her like if she's been like sleeping around or something and it's like oh damn like that that is that kind of un uncharted period where it's like uh mm -hmm. You know, before it was like, all right, we got to rein this in a little bit with the Hayes Code, and then of course the Hayes Code breaking. Like it feels like it feels like Hitchcock's career is bookended in so many different interesting ways because, like, The Lodger is a movie like Frenzy and like Psycho uh, about like a similarly placed. Um, I mean, that's more of like a period piece, but it's more like it's about it's on the streets of London and it's a, a Jack the Ripper story, right? Like, so he has his original Jack the Ripper story. It's an hour and a half long expressionistic film that they filmed partially in like Germany. So they could do that expressionistic uh, German cinema. And then, you know, you go, you get all the way to 1972 and he's doing um, another like a modern fucking serial killer story and pushing the boundaries that way too. Like, so it's like almost like his career is bookended by these two, different um stories both adapted from uh sensationalist books right i i think another thing that's interesting for me about frenzy is i mean the argument i would always have with my film teachers was they would always say hitchcock just believed in not showing things and my response was always well he made frenzy but then i would say was it that he didn't want to show things or that he couldn't show things 
Because, I mean, to be honest, I think Hitchcock had a sadistic streak. You know, there's that story of him directing uh, the child actor Bill Mummy. And uh, Bill Mummy would not sit still. And finally, he just got really mad and came up to Bill Mummy. And he was like, you know, I will stick these nails in your feet until your blood gushes out like milk. And Bill Mummy was terrified after that. Mm-hmm. But he, I, I think he enjoyed antagonizing people on some level. That's what some actors have sort of said that he could, he got a kick out of it. You know, if you, yeah, so. if you Google Hitchcock actor abuse, like the stories are countless. He also uh, poured alcohol in one of the uh, actresses' drinks to get her to loosen up, and she was like, uh, abs- she did not drink at all. Uh, the stuff he did to T- Tippy Hedren is countless. You're right. I do. I I kind of watch this film thinking like, is this him experimenting or am I just seeing him free? Or well, he also, even even just yeah. part of me thinks, and I'll, I'll let you go, uh, Forrest. But I, what I was gonna say was, um, there's certain directors I've met over the years that I think get a kick out of pushing people's buttons and even offending people. You know, I've I've met. Um, Troma's Lloyd Kaufman a number of times Mm -hmm. and I I can tell you this about Lloyd he just there's something about him he's a decent person in my experience I mean he can be hard on his workers but he if you really get down and ask him like why do you have to make these like over the top and often really offensive trauma movies there can't be but they're also really offensive and he'll just tell you he's like there's something about I like pissing people off and I think there's a little bit of that in Hitchcock. I think he gets a kick out of maybe offending people once in a while, and I think he got to do that with Frenzy. Oh, absolutely. He also had a he also had a pretty bad uh, Israel take the other day, but um, <laughs> uh, Hitchcock did. No, Lloyd Kaufman. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, came back he? from the dead. Yeah. Um, Hitchcock's like, like Hitchcock. I miss Hitchcock's uh, Israel day. <laughs> like, Israel, Israel has a right to defend herself. No, but, um, <laughs> so this is, this is him talking about nudity, and he's still kind of defending. I I think that he almost got off on being the guy that was like, oh, I don't I don't show things like nudity, like like you don't have to show things, right? Like nudity doesn't have to, and like this movie kind of defies that, and and in some ways I feel like it's Hitchcock desperately trying to cling to relevancy by doing that while still kind of trying to take like this weird moralistic high ground where he's like you don't have to show new like a good point yeah said seriously no humor about it at all we're still on rhyming slang and no this is not rhyming but this is a the use is the way things with with the meaning get into the language all right what would you not do in a movie that you were making today they put everything on the screen uh, these x-rated pictures there's nothing left to the imagination insofar as morality is concerned there are very violent pictures made where horrible things are done to the human body what wouldn't you do what turns you off and make well what turns me off are what i call uh, all in wrestling matches in bed you see that all the time you know it's a cliche uh, you know, they shoot past the man's shoulder, leaning over the girl in bed, and you know, it's just unnecessary. I think it's um, cheap and vulgar. But you're not against the use of nudity in motion pictures? Not, you use no, frenzy. no, no. I used it in the last picture, but in very sparingly, the picture I made, Frenzy. I had to show nudity a couple of times. 
but it was very important to the scene to show these couple of cuts anyway. But normally, just showing it just for the sake of showing it, I think is bad taste and unnecessary. And that you would not do no, in a no, picture. No, no, no. Anything else? Is there anything uh, violent that you wouldn't put in the picture? Well, you see, I've never made movies about professional criminals or cops. If you'll notice, if you look back over the films that I've made, generally speaking, they're about ordinary people mm -hmm. in bizarre situations. That's the whole essence. The movie I made, like uh, North by Northwest, Cary Grant, it's an ordinary businessman, gets mistaken for a spy. And of course, he goes through the most bizarre experiences. Well, it enables the audience to identify themselves much more closely with the individual. They can't identify them with themselves with a cop. They look at it objectively. They can't identify themselves necessarily with a criminal unless there's an intense interest, such as there was in the mafia, in, the, you know, the uh, Godfather. That's a different thing. That's, you know, uh, uh, a thing they look at objectively. But I've always gone for average man, the ordinary individual, going through extraordinary experience. Is that the, the basic theme that you look for if you're looking yeah. for a story to film? Whether I want to or not, I seem to gravitate toward that. As a matter of fact, I'm doing a, 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 a preparing the script now with Mr. Ernie Lehman, and we're working on a story which shows an innocent couple getting involved in, in very important uh, 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 abductions of people, kidnapping. Is he always so defensive in his interviews? I, I wonder if it's mostly for this movie. A lot of the time he's just fucking with the interviewer, but like this movie feels like it's... <laughs> On, on a different level for him. Um, I, I think that it's kind of fascinating though. Uh, what I wanted to say about this is that in some ways, what he's talking about the over the shoulder shot with, you know, uh, like a, a man going at it and you're like watching from his point of view, like, is he almost kind of purposely trying to make the most violent, brutal or grotesque version of that as like a parody almost like of that kind of sex scene to almost like uh, burst through that fucking cliche so much that it like turns people off from doing that in a weird way like because you could like with him describing it that way right like and then looking at the scene where he's brutally raping her in that style uh, of filmmaking right like where it's kind of over his shoulder and he's like raping her from that way like leaning over like that's literally he's describing what he shot in frenzy but then in frenzy it's uh, it's a brutal um, it, it, like unpleasant um, like just deeply disturbing scene rather than kind of being like, uh, oh, let's let's throw some sex in there. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, to I, play devil's advocate on that, I, I mean, I, I think Hitchcock had a carny element to him. I mean, just, I mean, you even see it with the way he presents his movies. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, he was just trying to put asses in seats. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it does make a very interesting point. And like, it's it's very also important to say like there's a little 
can you eat your cake and still have cake aspect of this where like shit all of these could be true but also they is that, can't is that all the be true at the same time is that the expression eat your cake and still have cake yes so it, it, it got mis it got like said wrong so many times the correct way to say it is you cannot eat your cake and then still have cake all right i didn't know that yeah so that, <clears throat> the interviews we've watched with him those were all right after he made frenzy yeah mm -hmm. it's it i mean for me it's really interesting to watch those interviews just because, I mean, really, this this uh, the, I I would call it moral panics around violence in movies. They, I mean, it pops up over and over again. I mean, it pops up with Frenzy. Then in the eighties, you have people chastising Sam Raimi on daytime talk shows or Michael Winter when Death Wish Two comes out. You have Bill O'Reilly in the two thousands complaining about the Saw and the Hostel movies. I just I think it's really interesting how um and I'm not Bill, saying Bill 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 Riley, it, like, where where's my where's my version of that? Where's where's me uh terrorizing right. innocent people? Yeah, a whole subgenre of like torture porn starts to become like or at its what? highest it's kind of even, a contrapasso and it does make sense and at its lowest it's purient. Even Fox yeah. News wouldn't pick up Bill O'Reilly's torture porn that he made. <laughs> He's like, uh this genre, man. I don't care you what get you a, people want. You buy <laughs> peritoneal wipes and you get a CAPTCHA to watch it for free online. <laughs> I, I just do think that's interesting, though, how, I, I mean, I can understand why he gets defensive, because mm -hmm. when we really look back on the history, you know, I don't necessarily look at, it seems like every generation, someone pushes that, that boundary. And, you know, you have people that scream, it's the end of civilization as we know it, because they're doing this, this, and this in the movie. But it never pans out that way, you know, so oh, yeah. I can see why he's so defensive in a lot of ways. Absolutely. The first movie that I saw that I was too young to see that got me in trouble was I was very into Quentin Tarantino. So I had gotten from dusk till dawn when it came out and I was like, mm, kind of like 11 ish. Um, and I, oh, my brother and I go to put it on and he's eight, seven years younger, older than I am. So he's like 18. And like 40 seconds into that movie, you have Cheech Marin just going, pussy, pussy, pussy. And I've never seen my brother move so fast. He like flings across the room and is like, we are not watching this. <laughs> um, and people were like, Tarantino is the, oh, what a, what a terrible period. And like, it didn't pan out. He's actually quite an auteur with a lot to say. So yeah, totally. I mean, but like on the same token, I guess, like, psycho fucking disturbed audiences to the point where people were like running out of there like it's kind of and hitchcock maintained his like uh because for a long time like if you watch his dick cavett interview or like a lot of the interviews he did before this press run like he's at complete ease he's just messing with the interviewers he's not mm -hmm. defensive he's like he's in his element kind of and in this it seems like he gave away enough of himself in this movie right like or enough mm -hmm. of his principles to make this movie in some way like, cause he's talking about, you know, oh, well, I don't really like all of this, uh, you know, this nudity and like violent kind of stuff. And it's like, mm -hmm. this movie kind of pushes all those buttons though. But and I, it, I, I wonder if he feels like he sold part of his soul to make this. I mean, it got him good reviews and it put butts in the seat. So, I mean. Except was, the BBC didn't like it. They were like. <laughs> he doesn't like shit. They didn't like Doctor Who. What do they well, know? They were clearly wrong. Um, what do you guys think about the long uh, before we go to letterbox one liners? What do you guys think about the long um, British food scenes? Because those are 
honestly excellent. Hilarious. They're very interesting, especially because in in the whole torture of this guy is wrapped up. She's like actually the only one paying attention. She's like, I don't think it was that guy because like you, like our marriage, we've been married for eight years. Do you have the passion right now to kill me? Like funny and me, true. Me giving you pig's feet to eat. Like, but but she's right. So like th- those really felt very satirical. And I just gotta say the way she pronounced tequila, tequila, tequila. See, but that's my only problem. And I guess we're making fun of how British people can't stand any level of change or any level of scary because like a tequila is a good drink. Okay, you guys well, like, are being like, ridiculous. <laughs> the margarita was just freaking the dude out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like, I want to know what she did to that margarita. I want to know what she did to that margarita. To I don't ruin think it. she did anything. I think it's just like ooh, she, weird no, but, drink. No, she because she drinks it and then she her face instantly go, like yeah. goes white or whatever. She's like. I know. Maybe, maybe she used sugar instead of salt. She yeah. herself is too British to enjoy. Or she could have poured so much salt in there that mm-hmm. it makes you like want to throw it. Like it's literally just fucking seawater at that point, I guess. Tequila. <laughs> she also goes like pigs de pork, and he's like, "This looks like pig's feet." And she's like, "It is in uh, the the same uh, like trifle tri- trifle sauce or whatever." It is like. Ew. <laughs> at, at one point, I don't. I'm not someone that likes fish. Like, I mean, I like sushi and stuff, but like, mm-hmm. I hate when you can see the actual fish that you're mm-hmm. eating. And like, he puts his fucking spoon in there, and you can like, there's a straight up fish head. Like yeah. he picks up a fish head and then she's like frogfish, which if you know what a frog, like that's like the angler fish thing that like the most disgusting possible kind of fish. I, I guess British people eat that. She's just listing off like the worst kinds of fish you could possibly eat. Of course, being American, it's like, is it, is this really supposed to be extra disgusting? Like, like, I mean, British food in general is kind of gross. I mean, uh, but- and then like, like, is it, like, like, I, I mean, I kind of, the joke is like, I thought they'd be into that. I mean, I'm so Italian, it, though, that like, I, what, like, watch a giant crab and journey to the center of the earth, and I'm like, get him on a geyser, steam him, I'll eat him. This is what, like, frogfish are. I'm probably like delicious. The fish that look like rocks. I'll eat it. I mean, maybe that's not the one that they're taught. Like, I don't know, but that's what, in my mm. in my head, that's what frogfish are. As someone that used to, like, do aquarium-type shit and used to, like, be interested in fish. Seems like not a lot of meat, but maybe you could deep fry it, eat the whole thing whole. Also, British quail. like, <laughs> yeah, well, they eat like quail, but they also eat like grouse. Like, they eat a lot of those birds that we don't necessarily mm-hmm. eat. And so, like, when he has like the crunch to it, he's like, oh, there's not a lot of meat on this bird, and there's like a crunch. Mm-hmm. He has like, it's just the the texture of it. I think throughout the entire thing, like first okay. the the fish soup that's just has fish heads and stuff in it and then like the crunch down on the fucking whatever bird it is that he's eating like the grout like it's it's it's, it brings you into like feeling like this is such a fucking disgusting uh combination of animals that she's massacred she's the the, she's the uh she's the necktie murderer of animals she's (laughs) Do you know what's funny about the depiction of the cop in those scenes? This is based on a book written by. So there's the adaptation and then the original book, which is called. Yeah, he uh, hated it. Arthur Goodbye, Piccadilly, Farrell, Leicester Square. Yeah, he hated it. And he was appalled. And you think, oh, because of the sex scene. No, he was appalled by the depiction of the cops. Yeah, well, I, I, I posted about this at 6 a.m. when I was up. 
and uh i i wrote something wait, i'm trying to find the post that i wrote um there it was like i just think of a like copaganda right and it's like it's oh here it is i said arthur the brain who wrote goodbye piccadilly farewell leicester square which albert hitchcock apparently it was the scotland yard and he, yeah. he hated that scotland yard in particular which you know it's kind of funny that like if you read uh sherlock holmes or anything like that right like in this is like the new scotland yard like they refurbished all the buildings in like the 70s so it was like the the new scotland yard and it's supposed to be like all um all neoliberal out or something like all like the newer version of fucking uh scotland yard cops and they're just kind of these bumbling guys i mean but i also feel like the cop was pretty sympathetic more than, yeah, more than I, even... if i was gonna be offended by something in this movie i'm surprised and he was really not happy I like I like the cop. Like this is one well, of the he's got the black and was... white British, uh, you know, flag on his uh, car with with a blue stripe through it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is it like the fucking? Uh, what do they call it like the the Jack or whatever the British yeah, flag the is like Jack. Like all Jacks matter. <laughs> <laughs> all yards, all yards matter. I don't know. Fucking I. All I, find, I found the cop. I found the cop pretty sympathetic. Like the cop realizes pretty fast that he's gotten the wrong guy. Like it's not like I mean, pretty fast. The guy goes to jail. So not that fast. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say it's pretty fast. I thought he was an incompetent cop. <laughs> His All wife right, had well. to like point it out and then he had to sit on it. His wife is just like, You were wrong. <laughs> His wife's like, You were wrong. Have some grouse and some tequila. <laughs> crap but also you're wrong <laughs> but the wife is not eating any of the food he's eating that's the I funny know, part that's the funny part it's, and she's made she's talking about she's making a souffle like she's eating she's eating eggs in the back room and feeding him her her concoctions like it's hilarious when she finally takes her own drink and then just spits it back out again because it's like yeah you haven't tried any of this food have you like i don't think you have like you never see her eat anything she's in the yeah. back room just housing down her fucking breakfast foods and he's forced to eat like uh every animal in the wood like she's foraging for shit like i imagine there has to be at least one nypd detective who's uh whose wife is like really into like foraging she's just like uh she goes to the central park and she's like a moss souffle fresh out of central park and he's like trying to fucking eat hot dogs he's stuffing down hot dogs in his fucking mouth like i'm this saying what, this, this shit writes walking. itself frenzy too electric boogaloo this you the, could write the, it it's the american version of frenzy it's just the cop having food it's just the cop <laughs> having food but it'll work yeah <laughs> i've only gotten that far so far <laughs> <laughs> give it a but, day uh, you want to do letterboxed one-liners let's do letterbox one-liners this is the part of the show where we go to letterbox which is a uh, online like an app it's also an online place you can go to look at reviews for shows that are out right now and movies that are out and anyone can review them so it's kind of a nice place to go to kind of see a, a really good look at how people are responding to stuff what we use it for is to grab one to two line funny responses for the movie we have watched so that we can we can giggle a little and and have a have a have a good time <laughs> It's almost like Conan was here. Exactly. Well, thanks, guys. Hard not to enjoy something so nakedly contemptuous of the British. And it's his first movie set in like England in a while, too. Like he goes back to England and he's like, yo, fuck all y'all. I like my house in California. So I'm going to fucking roast you all. 
Yeah. It's well, weird. The funny thing is, too, is like uh, his dad actually used to uh, work at that uh, uh, that that dock where, where they have all the food. The grocer, uh, yeah. Yeah, his dad worked there. And apparently while they were on set, this this old man barged on set and like security's like trying to stop this old man. And the old man comes up to Alfred Hitchcock and goes, I knew your father. And uh, Alfred Hitchcock ends up like having a, a wonderful conversation with the man who's like telling him all these stories about his father. Uh, but, and then you know, he's like, Bob's your uncle and winks. And walks <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Immediately jumps to the top of my favorite Hitchcock film lists for that one scene where the chief inspector goes apeshit on that full English. I like how our version of full English feels like it would be like the continental breakfast. He's like, I, yeah. <laughs> I went over to the England for the first time and on the plane, because I did a, uh, a hop over from Glasgow, they served everyone English breakfast and I damn near had to like eject myself. I'm like, what if 50 cans of beans opened up in this can at once? Like, not at 6 a.m., guys. Have you heard of avocado toast? <laughs> Enough tit action to fill the eyes of a potato. <laughs> I also like that there's a weird discourse between like fruit sellers and the potato sellers. He's like, I'm glad I'm not in potatoes right now. That's a, yeah, oh, yeah. That's a, that's a way like worse industry than my industry. <laughs> Remember when they just let weird perverts make movies? Choking up just thinking about it. That really is Hitchcock's whole like like he had, he had a fetish. He put his own like weird fetishes into his movies for sure. Yeah. Nobody. The strangled women in this film. <laughs> the, the one at the end, too, has like her tongue out that way. I mean, I and guess I, your tongue probably would be out if you got strangled. But I looked it up, and I have to say, don't, don't, don't Google image that. Oh, try yeah. And go down that hole. But the tongue does stick out a little, but not to the extent that these women, they, they lo do look like that emoji. I did actually laugh out loud whenever you see the yeah. first dead woman uh, with her tongue hard. out. Yeah. Um, because it's just like I was not expecting that. And all of a sudden it's just, you know, tongue. It does seem, yeah, exactly. It just takes a little bit of the piss out. Uh well, you know, people on Instagram, you know what I mean? They always have their tongue out of the side of their mouth these days, like they're doing the frenzy. That's it's <laughs> true. The kids are really into frenzy. You'd be surprised. <laughs> Any female character breathes. Hitchcock, not on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to admit, not on my, not on my watch. Some of these characters are so like comically British, and the wife of the like Dicko boy, like the two of them are are, are pretty fucking hilarious. Could you call an American Dicko? I feel like you, those are fighting words in America. <laughs> yeah, it's Richard, sir. My dad's name is Richard, and my uh, my aunt, who who actually my aunt who lives in England, uh, used to call him Dicky. No, no. Well, I guess you can get away with it. But get she's American. It. She just had a fake British accent because she lived in Britain. <laughs> well, I mean, I called our vice president uh, Dicko Cheney. Uh, people uh, thought uh, I thought he was Irish. Dicko Cheney. Dicko Cheney. Yeah. yeah, that's just roll off the tongue. Why did uh? Why did why did John Kerry get a belly button piercing? Why? Because Bush Dicko. had a Dick Cheney. Uh. <laughs> No one can end a movie quicker than Hitchcock. That. What did you guys think of that curtain line call? That the, the little like Where's you're not your wearing tie? your tie. <laughs> he drops oh, the box. Even, even even more than even more than that. Like the last whatever like fifteen minutes, 
Mm-hmm. So much fucking happens. He's in. He's he gets arrested, right? Like he, go, mm-hmm. he goes to court. He goes through the whole thing with the barrister, where he's like, uh, you know, he's like, he's like, I didn't. It was Bob Ross. Bob Ross, and they pull him into jail. I thought he was then, saying Bob Ross, like the painter. <laughs> those happy so, trees. Those happy trees are killing women. Then he throws himself down the fucking stairs somehow. Like he he get, like makes himself trip so he can go down the stairs and end up in the hospital. Then he's in the hospital and there's a bunch of jolly uh, prisoner like criminal uh, fucking um, Cockney guys that are just like cool with him. Whatever. Like he makes friends with them and they're like, oh, we can help you escape. So they give the pills to the guard or whatever. The guard falls asleep. There's a whole plan that only takes like 30 seconds. The guard falls asleep. He sneaks out wearing the doctor's jacket and somehow nobody notices it's him, which, all right, whatever. I don't think that that guy would have been a doctor, but I guess they're not looking at him that closely. They realize in seconds that the the sleeping pills in the cup and he still somehow gets out. He goes all the way to the guy's apartment and then that scene happens. Like all of that happens within the last 10 minutes of the film. Yeah, and the cop catches him in the apartment standing over uh, a dead woman, too. You know, we... Imagine if the cop didn't know that he was in it. You know what I mean? They're just like, you got out and you killed another woman? Like, Jesus Christ. There's a moment where you feel like that's how it's going to be. Yeah. But instead, you get this, like, Aaron Sorkin kind of, like, boom. Oh, I didn't think it, it was almost like, I almost thought it was like well, a sitcom. Suck, so I wouldn't compare it to Aaron Sorkin. I okay. almost thought it was a sitcom where he drops the thing and you, you can hear like the Seinfeld. The ding, 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 it ding, did ding. have a yeah. absolute, oh my God. If you could re-edit that <laughs> for, for the Twitter so that that last bit just has the Seinfeld base, I would love it. <laughs> Which uh, apparently. Um, You're not uh, wearing they, your tie, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> when they filmed that, um, the the uh, the actor who, who played uh, Bob there, uh, you know, like look down in shame, like like you know, oh, you caught me and tried looking down, and Alfred just goes like, he's like, the only directions I ever got from uh, Alfred Hitchcock was was that scene where he told me not to look down, and so I didn't, and uh, I didn't quite know what to do, and he just told me drop the box, and so that's what I did. There's just there's something so comical about like the, the looks that they all give each other. It just it has like big sitcom vibes where it's like, oh, what are we gonna do, like. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does have big sitcom vibes. <laughs> searching for a Hitchcock cameo, like searching for Waldo. Yeah, but we this didn't one, say it, yeah, it in did the you... first five minutes. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah but, you got to like, point it out. Yeah, yeah, he, he, that hat kind of throws everybody off. Yeah, but he's also a pretty big guy, so he's, pretty, he's usually easy to find. <laughs> They're, they're at like a labor party uh rally too like just on this like i'm pretty sure that because the guy is like the rose in this thing like the politician like he's like the mm-hmm. alderman type politician and he's like giving the speech or whatever outside the building and it's like i'm pretty sure it's like the labor party like he has like the rose in his fucking mm-hmm. thing too so it's like and he's given the thing about like how they're going to clean up the thames and then the bodies that's the, again more jokes yeah like <laughs> This this gif yeah, is not quite as, <laughs> no. this gif this gif is not quite as good as not, not quite the monkey in the hat one. Yeah. You know when I was in that high school <laughs> that's, that's that that's the same vibe as uh the the end where he's about to drop the box and he sees the cop the cop walks out from behind it. It's literally the uh do we get rid of the oh no it's this this is what it's that it's got that kind of quality to <laughs> <Right>? it <laughs> which is a funny way to end a movie that has such an intense death scene in it like this movie is all over the place at times but 
All right, so promos. Yes, you're watching us on YouTube right now. So please do those YouTube things. Like, comment, subscribe, hit that bell. And of course, the big ask is to watch the video to the end. Since you're not getting your daily feel, your weekly feel of uh, Conan Neutron, you get it at the beginning and end of our videos where he's doing the music. That's him singing. So, so watch the video to the end. You get that song. And uh, that allows other movie fans to help find us in the uh, algorithm. Uh, if you're over on... Um, uh, Twitch, please do the Twitch things. Throw us a sub. If you happen to have an Amazon Prime account, the big ask is to subscribe over there. That doesn't cost you a penny, but that actually helps us out a great deal. Uh, so thank you very much for for doing all those things. Uh, we're on. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Blue Sky. So so find us on all those places. I uh, say hi. We we may say hi back. Uh, we do have a Patreon. And with our Patreon, you can uh, support the show because we we do need your support. This, we, we, you know, this isn't for free what we do here. And uh, you also get access to things like our after parties, uh, which will be there forever. Um, but the good news is tonight you can actually see one of our after parties because we will be doing one after we finish this up. So uh, yeah. watch watch out for that uh, for the link for that uh, to, to join us over in the after party. Uh, Conan isn't here, obviously, but because uh, he's uh, he just wrapped up his tour. He's heading back home. Um, so so no more uh, tour dates. However, uh, you know, he's he's uh, bound to announce something in the future. Don't know when, but uh, there's always something in the works. Uh, but uh, you can catch his show, uh, Protonic Reversal. Um, I'm going to suggest to you episode 294 with special guest Stu Spasm of Lubricated Goat and the Art Gray Noise Quintet. Which, uh, I don't know, did you talk to him at all, Forrest, or is it just me hanging out with him uh, this summer? Who? Uh, Stu Spasm. Oh, um, no, I didn't really get to talk to anybody when I was there. Yeah, yeah, because um, when uh, USA Nails was on stage, Stu comes up to me and starts yelling at me about how much they, they, they can't dress themselves, and it was hilarious. I know, you've told this story every time you talked about us going on that trip. <laughs> it was just a wild story, man. Um, but yeah, it was good times. Uh, but but yeah, check out that episode. Um, also, if you want some music in your life, uh, Adult Prom is now available. You can find that at NeutronFriends.BandCamp.com. Um, you know, and get other albums too. If you already have Adult Prom and you don't have uh, Dangerous Nomenclature, get Dangerous Nomenclature. Get, get, get something else. There's lots of good stuff there. True, seriously, go for it. Um, Christina also couldn't join us, but uh, she has a Patreon too. So go uh, check out patreon.com slash cosmopolitics. KT, tell us about Starwell. Sorry, I got stuck on mute because I was, I was being polite. Um, Starwell is, uh, you know, it's a wonderful online uh, podcast, like, drama like a radio show set in a fictional world where superheroes exist and so do supervillains. Our main character works for kind of like a make your wish a foundation helping kids meet superheroes but the kids have started to ask to meet supervillains so she now starts to facilitate that. Um, hijinks and more ensue. Uh, I play one of the supervillains. I play a Russian uh, supervillain. I also play the host of the podcast Inside the Podcast, the very incepted podcast um, about... You'd hope, the, you'd hope the one thing that fictional worlds don't have 
our podcast. <laughs> so, but, 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 so, you know, it's a true kind <laughs> podcast inside the world of superheroes that gives you backgrounds to some of the like murders that actually wind up happening. I want to. I want to hear. I want to hear that world's Joe Rogan, and he's just. No. Like, <laughs> he's just he's having the fucking supervillains on to be like. So so so, what's your workout regimen? Yeah. Oh, I take it you lift, bro. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's definitely one of those superhero shows that makes you question the concept of what is good and what is bad and, and why we do what we do, which is, it's really fun. First two episodes are out. I'm in episode two, so you can get to hear me there. Um, that's under the show Opinions May Vary. So if you look them up anywhere podcasts are, you can hear that. As always, you can go to YouTube and see my film Girl in the Basement. It's October. It's Halloween. It's a 32-minute horror movie. These are good things for you. It's free. Go watch it. You're going to enjoy it. Uh, Jared Skolnick will, I'm sure, be on the podcast again soon because you guys are rescheduling him from the last time. He's the director of that. It's a fun piece. Enjoy. Excellent. And uh, JG, tell us about Parallax Views. Uh, Parallax Views. It's on Podbean, iTunes, all the rest. Uh, Patreon.com slash Parallax Views if you want to support me. Right now, I'm bogged down in doing a lot of coverage of the Israel-Palestine situation, but hopefully I will have some Halloween episodes out. I just did a really long show with uh, Jason Miles of This Is Revolution with uh, Brian Yuzna, who helped bring such uh, great cult classic horror movies to us as Reanimator, From Beyond, and my favorite, Society, which is the closest we've ever gotten to class war body horror <laughs> so that's what i have going on fantastic fantastic and uh yeah i did want to uh you know uh say two things here first of all uh i have a, a cover of a comic that just came uh that i just received um uh, i'm sure you can get that from your comic store Darudi shadow of the people uh issue two you can get a variant cover uh with my artwork on it but more importantly, uh, you know, we talked a lot about rape this episode, and I just want to um, mention, you know, if you uh, need to have access to a rape. Uh, oh, I'm on the wrong one. There we go. Sorry, I was on suicides and uh, we need to talk about rape. This, this would be the, the best time to have like a better help. Uh, <laughs> like whatever, if they're sponsoring us, like better help. Just plug it right in there. We, yes. yeah. we, have, we, we want to offer the resources. But yeah, I, I just want to say, um, if uh, you can't, uh, if you don't feel comfortable making a phone call, you just want to chat with somebody online. Uh, if you go to online.rain, R-A-I-N-N.org, um, you can actually chat with somebody uh, that can help you through this. Um, if you can uh, make a phone call, 1-800-656-4673 is their hotline. They do also have different hotlines for, for other things, too. So uh, sexual assault and harassment, uh, 1-800-656-4673. That spells hope. Uh, so there is hope for you. Uh, street harassment, uh, 855-897-5910. If you happen to be a service member or work for the Department of Defense, uh, there's a, the hotline number for you is 877 877- 955-5247, uh, National uh, Domestic and Dating Violence, uh, 1-800-799-SAFE. Um, I did not write down what the numbers spell out, but uh, if you spell safe on your phone, 
You got it. And uh, finally, if you're in a position that can help, um, uh, go to uh, rain, R-A-I-N-N.org. And, uh, you know, give them a donation because uh, they do really great work and they run all these hotlines. Uh, so, so they're really helping people. Awesome. Thanks for all that stuff. Venom tries DMT. Yes. Yes. That's it. <laughs> did, you, did, did we get that on uh, in, uh, that Venom movie? <laughs> but uh, JG, do you have uh, final thoughts on Frenzy? Um. Wild watch. That's all I will say. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we covered all the bases. I don't know about you guys, but I mean it. It's it's pretty singular within Hitchcock's uh, ovoir. So I, I I like um I like that every Hitchcock uh, episode ends up kind of becoming like more of a macro conversation about like the the various directions his career took. Like mm-hmm. I, I think that his 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 work is like singularly. Uh, like i guess um i don't know, like hefty right like it's singularly like uh versatile and kind of in creating a lot of these different i mean hell it's the he has the first british talkie like uh two years after fucking the jazz singer came out like his career went all over the place for such a long time and i feel like frenzy is one of those movies that's like not as covered as you know his oh yeah his prime time but uh kt final thoughts um, yeah, I think I said it I said it earlier where like if you haven't seen this movie and you've been listening to us talk about this movie, I'm sure it's piqued your interest. I'm sure you want to see it and and make your judgment and see how you feel about it. Uh, that being said, I, I this was a it was long. Uh, it was difficult. I think it was supposed to be difficult because that's kind of part of the horror. but like I I wouldn't I wouldn't watch this one again, but. I do feel like there is a point for people to see it, especially if you've listened to us talk about this. Yeah. Andy, you know, um, Hitchcock is a director that, uh, seems to have never like, uh, I'm not going to say that, that this is like one of his best films, but like as a director, like, like the, you cool don't miss. is that what you're trying yeah, to say? You know, he's the, the, just the skill that you see on screen is incredible. Like even little things like where they just drop out the background volume. Uh, whenever she kind of like walks out of the bar to, to the, to the shocking revelation. Uh, and, you know, so you have all this ambient noise and it just fades away as you're kind of realizing like what she's realizing. Um, so, you know, uh, such so many great little things. Um, fun thing to look up to uh, the, there's the, I, the documentary that comes with the DVD uh, called the story of frenzy. Um, they actually play the original score because they actually had a, a completely different score and it was done with organ music. That was Henry um, Mancini, right? Yeah. And, and it's a great score. If you, if you hear it, you're like, oh, this is good. But it doesn't quite hit the same because the score in this movie, which is one thing we didn't even talk about, is very nostalgic British. Like, like you know, it's you kind of expect it's it's not that far off from the Monty Python theme. And well, they well, in the beginning, right? Like the, you get the little, uh, it has a little flourish where it's like the British national anthem or whatever, and it gives you a little bit of that, and then it gives you yeah. the NPR theme, like dun 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 dun. It throws a little and, bit and of that in there. Great score too, just like uh, all together, like like it's um, it, it sounds a little hokey whenever you describe it like that, but but like when you actually get to it, it's like. It actually kind of works like like as an American, like you're just like, oh, this is England. You're like, cheerio. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. It's a bangers and mash, mate. 
And just remember, if you take one thing out of this episode, it's that I am not the necktimer. I don't even own an, own a necktie. I've never worn a necktie. You've never seen me in a necktie. I have. I am not the necktimer. Today.